Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm your host, Jess. I'm joined by Jared. Hi. <laughs> and we have a special guest with us, uh, Kate Sanchez. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for bringing me on. I'm super, super excited. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about Robbie Reyes uh, as the ghostwriter and just as a human being and an amazing character this episode. Um, Kate, you are our parent uh, <laughs> podcast host from our, our mother, our pod mother. <laughs> um, so Kate is the um, editor, editor-in-chief of But Why Though podcast.com and also a host on the But Why Though podcast. Um, you're also a movie critic, correct? See, so, <laughs> yeah. so cool. Do <laughs> you do a lot of things, actually, um, and just all around like really smart, amazing person. And we've been wanting to talk to you like forever. So I'm so happy you're here. I'm so excited I'm here because I, I think like the moment y'all started Agent uh, Project Tahiti, it was like, yo, Robbie Reyes though. Yeah. I know it's a long way down the line. <laughs> We're <but>. finally here. <laughs> Hit me up when you get there. You <laughs> know, and it's funny too. We actually just wrapped up his third of season four, like the first part of mm-hmm. season four. And so like we're recording this at like the perfect time. So we've kind of wrapped up his, well, he comes back, but his, <laughs> his initial part in the story for season four. Yeah, the, the arc that's like all about him, even though he has a couple, we, we get a reappearance before the end, but but this was the majority of our time with Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll go into a brief Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. bio about Robbie, mostly for you, Kate, so you can remember everything that happened. (laughs) Um, And then if anybody's kind of listening to this one off, if you don't listen to the main podcast, yes, it happens. Um, So there's going to be spoilers from seasons one through four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you are not aware listener (laughs) so (laughs) just throwing that out there um so robbie is a chicano uh i don't know young adult living in los angeles he has a disabled younger brother that's in high school named gabe who was disabled because he was shot in a, a hit I don't know, a hit shooting from a gang, a gang hit, a gang job. Um, and his, their uncle Eli was like involved in this whole plot. He was a this engineer. He's actually a PhD uh, a scientist, but he was working as an engineer for these like white scientists that found the dark hold and they were trying to become gods and all this shit. And turns out uncle Eli was actually like the bad guy in all of this and like, you know, tried to kill everybody and take the dark hold for himself so he could be the god i guess and create matter and um the scientists uh ordered a hit on on uncle eli and it turned out it was the boys that got uh caught up in this and robbie was dying but he reached out to whatever entity was out there to save him so that he could be there for gabe because gabe was all that he gabe was all that he had and gabe needed somebody um and the ghostwriter showed up and made a deal with him. And so now Robbie is the ghostwriter and walks around dealing out vengeance around Los Angeles <laughs> and <laughs> uh, has murals of his flaming skull head on the walls of various places. And uh, he's kind of a legend. Um, and then he gets mixed up with S.H.I.E.L.D. He gets mixed up with Daisy specifically. 
um, when she's in her weird inhuman goth phase, which is kind of funny. I shipped them real hard. <laughs> so not going to lie. <laughs> I am 100% believe that Robbie is Daisy's true love and he yes. has to come back at some point because they have to be together. <laughs> yes. It comes up a lot. I feel like it was first born from us just discussing how awful all of her actual like like all the people they've positioned as a true love character for Daisy on yep. the show and and just how awesome uh you know Gabriel Luna is and how awesome <laughs> Robbie is. We're just like, yeah, you know what? This is definitely it's better than anything they gave us, even though it was all subtext on the show. Like I feel like that subtext was better than anything we actually got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. Well, I don't know. They have a lot in common. They they understand each other on like a deeper level than all these stupid white dudes that she keeps get, getting set up with. So yeah, come he's on, the least, man. He's the least entitled, manipulative, <laughs> and just jerky character she's she has any association with on the show. Yeah. So that's they bond through trauma, but he doesn't put her through it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God. Um so yeah that's briefly kind of what Robbie is up to and his deal. Um I think it's I, I, I kind of want you to talk about because you're super into the horror movie scene. You're like mm-hmm. a huge horror critic. And I I know that like Mexican goth culture is a huge thing. Like I have a lot of Mexican friends that are super into like Morrissey yes. and like death <laughs> and all kinds of shit like that. And so I don't know. Can you just kind of talk about how like that it's interesting that ghostwriter, this ghostwriter is Latinx. Um, and just how, I don't know, just how that all kind of like is an interesting tie in to Chicano goth culture and horror yeah. and religion and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so first off, uh, I think if you talk to any Chicano or Chicana, like you will hear about their goth stage at least once. I don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> I swear Mexicans love Morrissey more than white people do. They do. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's something that I don't know. I don't expect, but hey, there it's there. Um, it's there's actually a subculture called Cholo Goth. Um, and you can <laughs> Google it. It's like it's literally a lot of dudes, or even it's mostly dudes, but like they're dudes who look rough as hell, and they like they they kind of have like they have the shaved heads, they have the the weird mustache that only cholos have, <laughs> but they're totally gothed he- like gothed out head to foot, like it's it's insane, and I, I think a lot of it from my perspective and also to kind of like contextualize Chicano as a term, if you're, if, you know, if, if somebody listening doesn't know specifically means a Mexican American. So somebody who is, who, who, who who has Mexican ancestry, but was either born in the United States or has family that has always been in the United States. Um, When it comes to Latinx identity, Mexican American, every everything is different. So, like New York, uh, New Yorkian identity are Puerto Ricans in New York, uh, very similar to the way that Chicanos or Tejanos are. Um, and so, it, there are certain elements that 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 kind of float there that may not be represented in other Latinx cultures. Um, and it's and one of the things, uh, predominantly at least in, in my opinion, and specifically in this connection to like uh, to, to darkness and goth and, and the morbid, <laughs> is that Mexicans um, uh, specifically like we we revere death in a very different way. Um, and and this isn't only Mexicans, but I mean it 
Dia de los Muertos is celebrated in a very specific Mexican way than it's celebrated in like Cuba or other places. So just speaking from that context, like growing up, like I always thought schools were cool. Like I was a little four year old <laughs> and I thought schools were cool. Like it, it because, you know, for three days out of the year, all we do is talk about death. All yeah. we do is set up skeletons and talk about how my dead, my dead ancestor is going to come into my door and like, we want them to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not in like a, like creepy, scary context. Yeah. It's, it's about like a reverence. I feel exactly. like it's, yeah. it's like a, it's understanding that the way we are, it, it's a, it's really a different viewpoint. Um, like my family and, and I'm atheist now, so I have like a really weird interaction with things. Um, but like my family has this supernatural view of the world that they totally see and they totally believe in. And it's just how they experience it. Like when a light bulb goes out in the house, my mom doesn't say, oh, a light bulb went out. She's like, oh, who did I piss off? <laughs> like automatically it goes to this spiritual and supernatural side of things. Like one of the things I heard growing up a lot was don't fight with me or the devil's going to come in. Oh my God. And like, that was what my mom used to scare me. Um, but on top of that, like on top of things like the Los Muertos, which already like we talk a lot about death. So it, it's, it's an obvious connection to like why we listen to a lot of Morrissey <laughs> and the Smiths. <laughs> And other goth things. It's just kind of the natural progression. Um, and then you move into things like the devil's going to come get you or yeah. La Llorona or like these different stories. Like we're all about just like, it, it, it's weird. It's like, it, it's a very real thing. Like nobody treats stories about the Cucuy or La Llorona or the devil as like fantasy or or fake or while they do it knowing that they're saying this to scare us as kids they're also doing it because a part of them sees that world and understands the world that way um and so i think uh specifically because robbie thinks that um that he makes a deal with the devil i thought that that was one of the most interesting things because that's very different for a Chicano to see. Yeah. Um, it's not just, oh, I made a deal with the devil. Okay. <laughs> That's weird. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like for him, it's just like, I don't know. It, it's also kind of the lines of like Mexican goths versus like not Mexican goths is like, you'd be a goth, but like you knew that there were some things you couldn't mess with either because you were like, oh, yeah, no, that thing's totally real. It's going to it's going to come back to me or like, oh, no, I don't want my mom to think that I'm doing this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like white goths are like, hail Satan and all these things. It's like if I do that, my mom's going to slap me. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just like it's navigating the space in a very different way. And so I think the fact. And I know in, in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that that conflicted identity of like, I'm doing something by having given my soul to something that is is so that is extremely evil. Um, like, what what do I do after that? And I think that it, it creates this complex view of Ghost Rider because it isn't as simple as, uh, you know, the spirit of vengeance. I have to seek vengeance. It's no, it's like I have taken this evil thing. I have no choice but to make good from it. Um, and it it also changes how he sees himself. And he sees himself as not worthy of redemption. And he sees himself as somebody who 
uh, despite his good acts is evil. And, and that's something he internalizes and it all has to go back with how he sees it as a deal with the devil and less as him enacting vengeance of like this, this thing that has been handed down to through multiple people. Um, also murals, Mexicans love a good mural. Yes. Everywhere. <laughs> uh, it's one thing I miss living in Austin now is like growing up, like we'd go to meet my grandma or go to go to my grandma's house. And she lived in a, she lived in a really bad part of town. I lived in a, when I got older, I moved out, lived in a less bad part of town, but there are these, these places called the courts. And so the courts in San Antonio are just like section eight housing, essentially. Um, kind of, yeah, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> but it, so it's not a really good place. It's like the projects. Um, and so there are gangs there, there are all these things, but they, despite, crime rates and and how you know fear whatever they stood as like these really large beautiful cultural landmarks in the city as well because on the sides of them on all of the sides of the of the buildings they had giant murals of like aztec gods and um pyramids and um the virgin mary and like all these different just signifiers of who we are yeah that like it it changed it and so like for me like I always like I I see murals in a different way and so to kind of see like that Robbie has some of his is like oh yeah they're totally using how we venerate things in our community to also like they're working that into him which I thought was really cool um I wonder yeah. now, because we don't really get a perspective from, like, bystanders about the ghostwriter. Like, we only kind of, like, I guess Eli has heard about him while he's in prison and stuff like that. But I don't – I wish we would have gotten at least a perspective on, like, whether he's a revered, yeah. like, character in the neighborhood or – we do get just a little hint of it because there is the That's giant true. mural. And when Daisy first is, uh, is tracking him down and like figuring out the legend of the ghost rider, the local legend, he is, uh, or, or she, she sees the giant uh, portrait and talks to the guy painting it about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he mentions it. He's adding, you know, like images of all the people that the writer has killed, oh, <laughs> you know, shit. to the mural. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess hit his hit, his hit list oh, man. and uh it was like documenting you know what the big things that were going on in in their uh, neighborhood and it, it felt like it was interesting because it showed like fear but it didn't really it, you're right like because it was just this one guy giving the quick rundown we didn't get a whole lot like an idea if he was celebrated at all because he was getting rid of people who were a negative element or if he was just scary as hell because it, he was you know this satanic creature or whatever, like, like yeah. it's a, a mixture of both or what. Yeah. Got um, just a glimpse of that. Yeah. I want to real quick. I want to go back to what you were talking about where the layers that Robbie has because he's Chicano and how that relates to like his guilt and like making a deal with the devil. Cause there's a scene in one of the episodes where Gabe, um, he, th- he gets brought, you know, in with shield because they want to protect him. And Gabe is like, oh, I knew you were up to something. And he assumes that Robbie was like a secret agent. He was a yeah. shield agent this whole time. And Daisy kind of like plays up the lie. She's like, oh yeah, he had to keep his identity secret. And then 
Gabe is kind of like, well, I thought it was something really bad. I'm glad it's just this. And Robbie's just kind of sitting there like, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad. But just like the pained look on his face and then the the reaction that Gabe has, like when he does find out that Robbie is the ghostwriter is that's I feel like that plays into that layer so mm-hmm. well um, of their the guilt that's associated with that. And then. When Robbie, like, he tries to make it like, oh, I was just trying to get, you know, get back at the guys who put you in a wheelchair. And Gabe's just like, no, dude, yeah. it's become more than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. just go, – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good moment because, like, that was actually a moment where like, my heart kind of dropped a bit. Yeah. Because it's kind of like – it's so just real, right? Yeah. Like – uh. It's funny, too, because, like, when you think about um, – because I had forgotten that the guy was adding in the faces of the people that died in that mural. I um, did, too. <laughs> that's – it's funny because, like, we do that a lot. Like, I like I swear, like, growing up, if, like – and especially in gang, gang neighborhoods. I grew up in one. Um, like, they just became, like, canvases for uh, – specifically, there was one wall that just had people that had been killed by, like, the gang across the way, like – different blocks and then you go to the other side and they had the same thing and it it was always kind of like I don't I don't know I always read it as both memory because they were like they had their names and it was like this year to this year and like they were like remembrance moments as moments but it also seemed like a scorecard almost because both gangs did it oh yeah um (laughs) And it, I haven't been back there and I actually don't think they're, they're there anymore, but it's a weird thing to think about it that way. And I think when you tie that into like how, how his brother reacts and how Robbie has to process that it, it's become a, such a larger piece, I think it just gets hard to do, especially coming from like where they come from. Yeah. Because I think I think that's something that makes Robbie just a ten times more interesting character than Johnny Blaze. Um, <laughs> is he just has to deal with so much and comes out of so much that it just it morphs not only your idea of justice, but it also morphs the the way you go after it. Yeah. Justice versus vengeance seems to be a huge theme throughout like the yeah. past like three seasons of Agents of Shield, mostly within Coulson, but I think Ghost Rider bring and I think Daisy too. They, yeah, they bring out that that theme quite a bit. When it doesn't yeah. come up as much with May, but there are a few moments, you know, where she's pushed and like I, I feel like yeah, it's a definitely a recurring theme in superhero fiction and something that they it really well with this arc with, with Daisy and her interactions with Robbie, I think. Yeah. Cause I think yeah. it's like, it's one of those questions that we have to ask, like, cause he's a spirit of vengeance, but I think that there's, there's so much more into what happens when you think you're doing something right. Cause to him, it, it it's not just vengeance. It, it does become like a moral point on the compass that he has to head towards. Yeah. Oh, dude. I just yeah. feel so bad for Robbie. I know. <laughs> well, and and know. he ends up atoning for, you know, he he like like to start off he feels like it's his fault entirely, but then he ends up feeling this righteous anger cuz the one guy who's supposed to take care of them is the cause of all of it. You know, he was yeah. betrayed by by his uncle and I feel like 
then there's like this extra weird guilt because it's like he should have protected them from him and should have yeah. and, and and he has just like it's it's like a combination of vengeance and real justice and like resentment and betrayal mm-hmm. like like it he, he has the pathos down for sure <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say uh, the fact too, and I, I didn't even think about it till right now. Actually, the fact that they decided to make it his uncle and not his dad is actually also really cool. Because like, w- like, and this is probably a more general at the next statement than just like Mexicans, but like our uncles and our cousins and our like aunts, like they're like they're direct family to us. Like it's not, it's not like my dad. Like obviously, your dad holds more weight then your Theo, but like your, your Theo is revered just as much as your dad is and the respect. And then when you have, uh, when you have issues in your life that remove one or the other, um, your extended family, a lot of the times like slips in and becomes that stand in, in a very profound way. Um, and I think, I actually think that's probably something that extends more throughout like marginalized communities as well. Um, just because of like the burden of needing to, I'm not burdened, but like just being in situations, whether it be systemic or otherwise, that kind of lead you to have to have these more malleable barriers between what is a nuclear family and what is an extended family. Um, But I really like that they have him as his Theo, because like for me, like my my Theo, like the one that I'm actually related to by blood, like he means everything to me. Yeah. He was like a dad growing up because my mom was a single parent for a little bit. So it's it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, if I was in that situation like Robbie, it's like the ultimate, it's the ultimate betrayal. Yeah. It's like like you're, you never do dad, that. Yeah. It's like your dad essentially betraying yeah. you for his ideals over his children, which is exactly. awful. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, I'm really glad you gr- you guys brought up Eli in this context because Eli is a a Latino scientist, mm-hmm. a PhD, and he has a, his little villain speech when he's kind of, um, you know, explaining to Robbie like why he's become what he's become because he talks about how he had to work twice as hard just to get his foot in the mm-hmm. door, and he was tired of being disrespected by these gueros, <laughs> and he he just wanted to become a God in, and he wanted to become important in the eyes of his nephews, but he just kind of lost himself along the way. And I know you have, you could probably speak to this more than anyone, I think of just being in academia and being a marginalized person in academia (laughs) surrounded by white people that don't take you seriously and maybe don't respect your, your hard work and your opinions. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why I (laughs) left academia. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's actually really funny um, because I have like a really good story to go along with that. So I was in a PhD program. It was really cool on paper in that like I was the first person admitted to that PhD program without prior having a a master's. So my my age was a thing. Obviously, I was the youngest person by I think eight years in the entire department, um, my cohort included. Ended up making really great friends there. But um, so that that factored in. And, and as I went through, I ended up noticing a lot of one, the fact that I didn't have a master's already had people talk down to me Two, that everybody came from places like Yale and Stanford and like these Ivies also made them talk down to me. 
And three was working, I worked specifically on comic books and identity and how we vision hero, how how the way we, we envision heroes impacts how we then perceive the person that bears that. Mm. Um, and so I was doing a type of scholarship that was, that is not necessarily respected. And then I was brown and a woman. So it was like this, <laughs> like, it was this God. <laughs> perfect powder keg. Um but I would say like my first year there, I was really insecure. And then my my second year after I finished my thesis and I presented and I got a couple of uh, a couple of book offers that I can no longer go to because UT owns my work. Yeah. Thank you very much. Don't a lot of people don't realize it about grad school. Yep. Uh, once you leave, you can't publish work that they own. Um, and then my third year. I had a situation with another uh, a, another guy who was actually a Latin Americanist, but he was white. Um, <laughs> and he oh always wore suits and he always told me how I never looked professional and that I should <sighs> take into account how everybody would perceive me. Um, and I was like, I'm going to class. I'm going to wear leggings. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> um and he we just kept butting heads because he would kind of talk around me or like he would uh, he would give me advice using quotations here advice <laughs> um and so we ended up going to a conference and i uh i talked to somebody about him because they were like oh yeah you're you're at you're at the school uh, i know i know this guy's name and i was like oh yeah i know him too um and they're like what i was like yeah i was like he's a dick um and i was like he's pretty sexist and i pretty actually think he's a little racist too and that person then took it back to him which was i mean i didn't care what he thought but that's still shitty (laughs) then made my entire life just awful there in that we presented on a panel together um at an academic conference and I was on Texas religions and I was covering Islam in, in Texas and somebody else is covering cowboy churches, specifically white cowboy churches and the other. And he was doing um, a Pentecostal religion in Houston. And none of those things represented uh, Latinos or specifically Mexican religion, which if you're going to do a panel on Texas religions and you don't talk about that, you're, you have a blind spot. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was calling myself out when I said that because I myself didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I said, I, I, I asked all of us a question and I said, I would like everybody to kind of think about what contributing to the landscape of Texas religion is when we don't include Mexicans in this narrative and think about how all of the different subjects that we have each talked about could influence there. Um. And I thought it was a good question. People loved the question. Um, And then afterwards, he told somebody at the mixer that was going on for it. He was like, yeah, she only asked that question because of her ethnicity. And I was like, wow. Um, And so from that point on, it turned into this, this big thing between him and some others that just continually brought that type of thing up. And then um, I went through some issues with my grad advisor to 
Uh, not my direct advisor, but he like managed all the graduate students. I yeah, we had to go meet with him once a year to talk about why we were choosing the classes that we were to essentially like defend them as a part of our track, which is fine. But he told me twice the first two years there, you need to use your natural ability and take Spanish. What? I don't what speak Spanish. <laughs> I'm very specifically Tejana. My mom got hit in school for speaking Spanish and she never taught me. And I now carry a little bit of guilt for never learning, but I also don't like being called a coconut when I don't conjugate my verbs right. So I don't speak it. Um, I was actually studying Islam in the US and specifically in that context with comic books. So I had no reason to. I already spoke Arabic and I was taking Urdu. So like those are the two languages that I needed to interact with the communities that I was interacting with. Yeah. But continually, you need to take Spanish. Um, so that happened. And then you just had like the the stuff that would happen when you would TA. Um, like I had one one TA appointment where the professor was a female, I was a female, and then the other TA was also a female. And th- the kids just like overran the class. Like it was mm-hmm. bad. Like they got bad grades because they didn't study and I and they didn't do well. And so they all kind of like they formed a Facebook group and they talked badly about it. And we ended up having to do like three times the work by allowing for two more edits per not edits, but like uh, essentially they would correct their quiz. And if they put the right answer instead, we would give them half a point back like that kind of stuff. So we ended up taking on more labor because of that, because they didn't respect us at all. And it was the first time that she had ever taught that class because it was a a required class to fulfill a credit. Mm -hmm. Um, First time she'd ever taught that class with all women. She said she would never do it again. Um, Sucks, man. Yeah. And then he had, I have, like, I've had students yell at me. I've had students, uh, it was funny. I taught a class, uh, I TA'd another class where each had two sections and it was me, um, an Asian woman and then a white guy. And the white guy got all the friendly people. (laughs) The Asian woman got all the people who would cry at her. And I got all the people who would come into the office and yell. Uh. And that was how it worked. And the white guy was like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Our students are amazing. I was like, what? <laughs> are they really? Dude. <laughs> um, and all of that just created this really, really bad environment. And there's, I mean, just from the basic of like getting dismissed in colloquia where we would ask questions and talk about things, um, getting talked over, having people assume that I, I couldn't do things or didn't know things. It was just a mix where, um, and it's why I'll forever be thankful for my partners. It it got to the point where it's like, you don't need to think about the money. You just need to close your eyes and think, where are you going to be happy? Because you're coming home crying every day. Um, And it wasn't that I wasn't good. Like I was, I had the highest GPA of my entire cohort. I had two people that wanted to publish my work. I had been on seven different panels presenting. Like I was doing good. Yeah. But it got to the point where like I can't I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um and it was the fact that I I brought up issues of race to my department and nobody batted an eye. Yep. Nobody. They were we just like, it. well, do we, we don't have enough instances. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um and I found out 
uh, earlier this, or last year that one of the women in my cohort had reported sexist, sexist stuff that had been happening, which I also reported when I left. Cause when I left, I was like, I'm going to feel really bad if I don't do something to help make it better for somebody behind me. And so I put my, put my ass on the line, quite frankly. And I, I made as big a stink as I could. And I got the grad advisor removed from his position, which was good. Um, but that was all I did. And, and nobody supported me. Yeah. I told everybody, nobody spoke up. Nobody, I mean, everybody was kind of scared. And I understand from a grad student perspective, like these guys hold. They have so our, much power over your career, your future. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, how do we say anything against it? And so I, I kind of thought it was fine. It wasn't fine, but it was fine. I get it. Um, but then when she reported her issues, the entire graduate student council backed her up. Mm. Um, she's a white woman. Yep. Um, and I was like, hmm, okay, <laughs> proud that you're fighting. Wish yeah. I could add support. And then she was like, I'm so scared to say anything. I was like, really? You have like 10 people behind you. Yeah. I had no one and I still said something. Yeah. And she didn't really like that input. She don't talk to me anymore. But um, <laughs> all it is to say, I too understand why Theo Eli wanted to just be important. <laughs> that was a lot. Right? Sorry. But- I don't talk about this that much. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you're bringing it up because it's like his idea was just, I just wanted to matter. And yeah. like, that's like the smallest thing. And people of color get drop out of programs and get like sidelined all the time for stupid shit for racism Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like just to say that like his story is not fiction like this is real this is a real thing that happens oh yeah i was gonna say we we briefly touched on it when we talked about eli and the the comics history before but like you know that he's the character. Uh, there's a f- little bit of a difference in Gabe, but for the most part, you know, Robbie's just translated really well from comic to screen, and Eli's the biggest difference. And I feel like a few of those things. For, I mean, for, for the most part, not that the comic version is bad. I think Felipe Smith and Trad Moore did a good job with him, but like, you know, he's very much in the vein of those Johnny Blaze villains, where he's like he's a Satanist and a serial killer, yeah. and he's a crazy, you know, uh, T.O. Eli, but he is, you know very he's less three-dimensional and and like i i I think i compared him once before to to like dr doom or to like the 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 best marvel villains or like you know dr octopus like the guys who start off actually having really noble goals and like they're no different than a hero it's just just a slight divergent path on their origin made them go the other way and he's actually like totally justified where he's coming from you know when he murders the uh, jack from Dawson's Creek, you know, <laughs> like, like, who who they also they really they accentuate even before they go back and explain like the the racist shit. Like they have his wife offhandedly mention like, oh, well, German's your first language. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. He's an <laughs> like he's definitely an asshole. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing that I thought one interesting choice that I I assume they did for logic, but in retrospect, uh, might have been a really interesting choice with the version of Eli they did craft. Uh, was uh, you know the the comic version he is uh Robbie's father's brother and but he ha- but he has the different name and in the in shield he's uh he's Robbie's sister's brother or Robbie's uh, mother's brother and I, I feel like 
that was just to explain the different last names, but it'd almost be more interesting if he took like an, an anglicized name in yeah. the shield version, I feel like. And oh. we speculated like many different reasons why he might've had that, uh, uh, that name in, in the comics. And like, we thought maybe it was to make him, I, I don't know, like, I, I have no idea just to separate it a little bit more or just cause it sounds cool. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of folks who anglicize their name, or like not necessarily they did, but did. Uh-huh. Like, uh, like I have, like, uh, specifically had a friend whose last name was Villanueva, and, uh, or he knew he told us his last name was Villanueva, and he was trying to use that and go back to it because his parents had changed it to Via, because that was just easier for people yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I had a friend named Lucetto. Beautiful name. Yeah. Uh, she changed her name to Lucy. Yeah. Um, and that's all she goes by now. Because um, it's it's easier. Oh, yeah. I, I one, of my, one of my best friends growing up uh, was named Victor Veon. And it wasn't until I was in high school. But I, and I knew his family. Like, 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 his parents picked me up when I was lost once when I was a kid. Because I, <laughs> I knew his number by heart. And my parents were both at work. Like, like, but I never knew how to pronounce their last name. Because they were so polite the entire time, the entire time we were in school. All the white teachers called him Velen. And yeah. he never corrected them. I knew his older brother, his parents. It was insane to me that they put up with that shit in retrospect. But like, you know, now I know a lot better. Like it's by a survival technique, all sorts yeah. of things. But it's just insane to me, like how bonkers people are. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, the funny thing is Jess actually mispronounced my last name. <laughs> oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's Sanchez instead okay. of Sanchez. Um, but it's not a big deal. So that that's the thing. Like, to that point, yeah, <laughs> but like to that point of like not correcting people, like it's not a like for me, if people know me, I don't think it's a big deal. Now, if I go into a place and I tell you my name and then you repeat it back to me and you say Sanchez after I just told you it was Sanchez, then we got yeah. a problem. Yeah. But like <laughs> I, I I don't correct people most of the time. Um, for friends, it's just because I mean, just you're my friend. I don't think you're doing it to be a dick. You just don't know. <laughs> and a lot of people say, like, a lot of people have anglicized my last name, their last name, to just be Sanchez. So it's it's perfectly normal and understanding. Um, but that like that's how like my my aunt's real name is Alicia, and she goes by Alice only yeah. ever. Um, my grandpa's name was uh, Alejandro, but he spelled it with an X instead of a J, and so he always just went by Alex. Um, nobody ever called him by his full name. It's just, yeah, it's that survival thing. And like, I don't know if it's about being polite or just like, just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like, do I want to have this today? Cause it's like, if I correct somebody, this can go one of two ways. It can go like, it just went with me and you, Yeah. (laughs) or it could be like, well, that's such a small thing. Why would you bother doing that? Like it. Yeah. And then it becomes a thing. Yeah. And then I don't have a hard name. So I, cause like at least with like my friends that have hard names, they, they can like at least just file like, nah, man, you butchered it. And it's like, no, you just said my A wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel even weirder saying something, <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's this weird thing. And like, I had never thought about the possibility that Theo Eli had, had just changed his last name. Um, cause that makes a whole bunch of sense. Like what if his last name was like Moreno or something? Yeah. And he just changed it tomorrow. 
Yeah, like, I mean, because in in the comics, the implication with them with uh, him being uh, Alberto Reyes's br- uh, brother, you know, you'd think. I mean, it's possible they have a f- different father, I suppose, but I, I just assumed he changed his name at some point, maybe to get in good with Satanists. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, with the ra- with the <laughs> I assume <laughs> I assume racist Satanists of, L- of the L.A. area in Marvel <laughs> comics. I mean, it makes so much sense. It makes a lot of sense, and I and I I would say that that actually makes it uh, like even more because like names mean a lot in our culture, like a lot. Like the reason that I will never change my last name. Uh, one, I think that if I walked into a room and I'm like, "My name's Catherine Donahue," you accept <laughs> you expect somebody very different than what you get. But also, like, I'm the last Sanchez. Like my grandpa had, my grandparents had seven kids. Six were girls. All of them have changed their name. My uncle has a son that he doesn't talk to, so that's done. Um, I'm the last Sanchez, and it, it, it's kind of cool. yeah like it's interesting it's one of these things where like because of how we see family like everybody was kind of under the sanchez umbrella even though they all had different names and now that my grandparents that have passed having the name is like having a piece of them so i I think especially when you look at the marvel marvel comics piece end of it like the fact that he would abandon a family name especially because of how much family is integrated into like our lives is really really interesting yeah um and i mean like i don't know i've, n- I've never met a latino with the last name moral so i'm saying it can't <laughs> happen but like it could it could have also happened in shield too god so which i mean i feel like he, he would change it for a different reason there right because I've, I've actually known yeah, one of the faculty members I was with ended up changing her last name. And it was a different situation. She had a Polish last name that nobody knew. So she just started going by Graber, which was a shortened version of yeah. it or something like that. Um, so it could have been an academic thing. Yeah. Easily. That's Man, so there's so many layers. There's so many layers. I love this. Well, and and we, you know, I think even at the time we, we took, we, like after we kind of thought it out while we were talking, like live while we were recording, <laughs> I was like, "Well, and you know, Felipe Smith's last name's just Smith, you know." <laughs> yeah. But but you know that's because uh, his heritage is both Argentinian and uh, Jamaican. You know, yeah. his, his Jamaican yeah. side has the Smith side, which is all uh, another example of white people forcing their names <laughs> on, yeah. on uh, another culture. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's so uh, crazy. Well, you just think about like how many actors like change their last names because they don't want to be just yeah. put in the box of Latinx or Asian or whatever mm-hmm. and be considered like uncastable or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, I forgot her name. The woman who plays Daisy. Yeah. Chloe Bennett. Like she yeah, changed her last go. name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite actors is uh, James Rode from Psych. Uh, yes. And- and I remember, re- like right after it started, reading an interview with him saying that he regretted it because when he w- when he first started working in Hollywood, I think his first agent or his first manager said, "You got to change your name uh, from Rodriguez to Rode." And he said he he struggled with it at the time because he grew up with his dad's family in Texas, and like, you know, he's like, "That's not." He didn't want to lose it, but and it wasn't like the person was just presenting it as being practical. It's just like he'll just get yeah. more jobs, and so he did it at uh, at the time, and he and he can't go back because of the way SAG works. Like he's stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac's another one. I was just gonna say that <laughs> our love. <laughs> yep. 
the best way, the best man happens Oscar. way too often like why is that still happening in oh, yeah. 2020 or, or you know 10 years ago or whatever mm-hmm. yeah because what's his name uh oscar isaac hernandez estrada i think is what it is <laughs> such a cool name like yeah uh pedro pascal as well he shortened his name so he lo- he goes with his the most anglicized part of his name. Yeah. So he has two more last names. <laughs> <laughs> um gosh, there's just there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. It's frustrating. Because it's kind of like we can't even get actual Latinos to play us half the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like Italians or Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, like the things that you have to, the parts of your identity that you have to give up to move. I I talked about this a little bit when we talked about Eli in our previous episode, but like to try to get that proximity to whiteness because that's where the power is. It's like, I don't know, it sucks. And Mm -hmm. hopefully this next generation of marginalized kids don't give up those parts of themselves. They like we can have like a different way of getting to the top versus just trying to yeah. anglicize our names and make it accessible to the quote, you know, majority people, which is not mm-hmm. true. It's just <laughs> what's perceived as majority. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the funny thing was watching that stuff happen in because I'm from San Antonio. That city is literally 80% Latino. Yeah. <laughs> and 90% of that is Mexican. Yeah. And that stuff still happened. Yeah. yeah, that's what's so disappointing about about the show not going forward is it because that was what yeah. that was going to be the biggest change from the comics yeah. in the Shield version was they were going to change the narrative from him being uh, an LA based uh, kid to someone who grew up on the Texas border and I feel like yeah. like like we we don't get that at all in comics or in movies no. much or t- TV you know you know like it, it would have been awesome. Yeah, I mean, think of the 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 most recent three um u.s born latino shows that have come out that came out on netflix they were all in california yeah which is fine giant that's just because a lot of (laughs) filmmakers are from are you know from california and they're familiar with that and i think that's just like because it because of yeah the easy it's the easy storytelling that people are familiar with too i think oh yeah and it's literally i would say it's literally everywhere between Texas and California. You know, yeah. I grew up in Arizona and mm-hmm. I know everyone in Mexico at the same situation. Like, like literally my best friends growing up, the only one, uh, like there were two of us that were white and my friend Eric's dad uh, was born in Mexico City. Like he was, he was white, mm-hmm. but he was still, he was still Mexican American. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it feels it, like, it's like it's, a story that should be told. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> And I think especially like when you look at somebody like Robbie and what him so much and that I love that they went with the Chicano is that like for me and this is especially because I, I do like I am Chicana I'm Tejana like I'm some like my family has always been in Texas like when we trace it back yeah. we've been here <laughs> yeah. um, that that's a, a a section of Latinx identity that you don't really see explored like you see us as immigrants or you see us as first generation Americans or which is fine. And that's a, that's a piece of it, but you also miss out on what happens within Chicano communities, like what 
Robbie would come out of like in East Los Angeles or in San Antonio or any of the number of places in Arizona and New Mexico. And, and with those, with those different things also come the complexities the, and the complexities of being Brown in those spaces, because a, a lot of the time, and one of the things that like makes me really would have, or how do I say it? It's an untapped market that could tell so many stories without needing to put a white person in it is the fact that sometimes it's our own. And a lot of the times in the Latino community, it's our own going against us. Yeah. Because we have such an like an identity, like a Mexican American like a Mexican American identity is an American identity. We don't know how to see ourselves as anything else. Like a Chicano is an, is an American. And because of that, that means that we end up in so many situations where it's our own people who are who are perpetuating the systemic violence against us. And it's, it's a very interesting thing. And I don't know, wish it happened more, but like that, it's one of the reasons why I will always love Robbie is he represents that piece of us. Um, that doesn't get to be shown a lot. So. I wonder sometimes, I think I grew up in Los Angeles, so I understand the difference between a Chicano and a Mexican coming yeah. across the border. I wonder, I I wonder if like just a viewer that lived in like, you know, somewhere that's not close to the Southwest or Texas or anything like would view him just as, Oh, immigrant. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think I, they would, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they would know that that's a different, like that's a whole different culture yeah i think i wish that that was more explicit that that was that he's you know his family is from here like yeah i've been here (laughs) yeah so i feel like the the vast majority of people who aren't in those areas who aren't who are you know not exposed that their view of of any culture that isn't their own or any real culture at all (laughs) Like, like i feel like it's so yeah like limited and shaped by pop culture like that's why it's it's a story that really needs to be told like because th- that's why representation matters like because it, it allows people to share their stories and it allows other people to be able to absorb and see what other cultures are like and not just have like the worst most marginalized stereotyped view you know from told by the oppressors, you know, like, yeah. well, and just to understand that Latin X is not a monolith. Like there's yeah. so many different types of Latin X people, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. even just the difference between like South American and Central America. Exactly. And- well, it feels like that's, that's some brilliance on Felipe Smith's part as well. Like, because he grew up, I think in Ohio and Argentina, but then went to school to be an animator in LA. So his whole college experience was around, uh, you, you know, the, the Chicano culture of LA, I, I think, yeah. you know, and, and he gravitated towards it and he saw the potential to like bring Ghost Rider together. And like, he had, like he had been very successful, uh, cause he also, he spent some time as an adult, uh, making, uh, manga in Japan, uh, as, as an immigrant there. And yeah. And came back and did animation, I think, at Ninja Turtles uh, <laughs> for the 2012 series. So, like, he didn't really have a foothold in American comics, but he had yeah. this idea and was like, hey, you know what? <laughs> like, and I, his I, I, art I, style is gorgeous. It's it really so is. good. It's so good. 
It's so good. No, he's just as good as Trad Moore. Like, cause he did all the designs for Robbie and the Charger, mm-hmm. and he did all like they, I think he did variant covers. And Trad Moore is insane. Like he's he yeah. is uh, a graffiti artist and a design guy and like a, a an actual fine artist on top of being a comic artist. And uh, yeah. so I feel like like there was a brilliant uh, stroke of brilliance editorially to bring those yeah. two to get together for sure. And I also think the the car aspect, and it's something we haven't talked like touched oh, on, yeah. but like the car aspect is so good, and it's it's handled really well in the show because um, it's really easy to make a charger or even just like uh, a semblance of lowrider culture or like um, like Mexican interaction with their cars like really stereotyped, oh, and yeah. the show does a really <laughs> good job of not doing that. Yes. Um, and from a character standpoint, like it's it's very like he needed something to get around in. So it's natural that it's this car that is like really iconic when it comes to, you know, how it, Mexicans drive those things um, is the easiest <laughs> way to say it. Um, but it's a it's a it's a way to make a nod at lowrider culture without actually going too deep yeah. <laughs> in a way that somebody may not know how to. Yeah. Um, well, and and they did a good job. I thought like it was a weird shorthand on the show, or or a nod to the comic version, which is like some satanic kit from Knight Rider, where yeah. e- Eli is possessing the car. Yes, you know, instead of that, it's it's it was inherited from Eli, and I, I like I was like that's they just do a really good job of adapting like the spirit of the comics without necessarily yeah. being one to one. Oh yeah. yeah. And 100%. making it a too racist stereotype. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will say, though, um, one of the things that has been really interesting, and I, it kind of goes back to our, we were saying that, like, more people kind of need to know about, like, there are, like, Chicano is very different than somebody, than, like, an immigrant. Um, that's also something that, like, let, like, Latinx don't even really know or don't even yeah. Like whenever I make a tweet that says Latinx in it, holy crap, do my mentions <laughs> get wrecked. And it's not by white racists. <laughs> it's by other freaking people who are Latinx because I use Latinx. Yeah. Because for them, and then they're they're the number one thing, that's just something stupid Americans say. It's like, yes, because that is literally what being Latinx or being Latino means. It means that you were you are in the US, you are classified this way, or you in a you are in a place or from a place that is that is not Latin America that that classifies you as this. And it's something that a lot of people don't understand is that like if you're Latin American, you're Latin American. Yeah. You're not Latinx. Latinx is specifically it, it was something that came out of the US. Um, Because it comes directly as a kind of a pushback against Hispanic, which was in in Hispanic is a term that was invented by the United States to categorize us and specifically categorize us by surname. Um, And you lose a lot of nuance in that. And then Latinx developed to talk about people with origins from and connected to Latin America, not defined by language or name or, or, or description. Um, and and it, it's evolved to be non-gendered, um, which I think is cool. And a lot of people think is cool. But the first thing is like, this is just something Americans say. This is what an American says. Yes, we're American. That's literally what it is. <laughs> if, you, if you put me in Mexico, I, I, I will not. I don't even know how to get around. I know. If you put me in Japan, I am very much American. They would not accept me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Um, that's really, I think actually, Kate, I remember a conversation that we had when we first met or met quote on Twitter. I don't know how to put that. <laughs> Started talking. We talked about the Latinx versus Hispanic thing. Cause I remember I had a, a professor who was of French ancestry, but he's from Mexico and yeah. he was very adamant that he was not Hispanic. He never marked it. So he marked white until yeah. they changed it <laughs> because yep. he's like, I don't know. I, I don't categorize myself as Hispanic, you know? So what do I do? I mean, yeah. the categories are still all bullshit anyway, but they, they don't even have Middle Eastern as an option mm-hmm. <laughs> on the that, census. That's one of, one of my best friends growing up was from uh, El Paso and he had a very racist against Mexican uh, grandmother who lived with him. His, his grandmother was Spanish but yep. <laughs> but his and and he lived with his Spanish mom who was I I think she was born in the U.S. but both of her parents were from Spain and uh and his white stepdad but his dad was was uh biracial and his and had Mexican heritage and it was like he picked up on it and sometimes I like he would say shit that like really surprised me and I was like wait but you're Mexican. Like your dad's Mexican. Like, how can you be racist against yourself, man? Like, I know your grandma, (laughs) I know your grandma says shit, but like, she also, you know, all she does is watch Van Damme movies all day, which which, to to be fair, that's like living your best retirement, but like, (laughs) that's so real though. Like, Oh, yeah. Like my dad doesn't speak Japanese. Because he, you know, similar situation to you, Kate, like it was just, you just don't speak it when you're in English speaking areas like school. And if you don't hold on to it, you just, you know, are told, hey, don't speak that. We're in front yeah. of white people. And then you just lose it and you don't yeah. teach your kids your 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 mother language and things like that. And um, man, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> um Oh, and it's, I just, my dad says things sometimes where he's just very anti-Asian American or very anti-Japanese. And I'm just like, he's internalized so much of that racism that he grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, and even his community grew up in. And um, I think he's just now starting to like kind of self-reflect. Yeah. And, I, and it's, I mean, he's in his seventies. Like that's not yeah. normal. That's not normal. A lot of people in their 70s don't self-reflect. They just want to live their lives um, and, you know, hang out with their grandkids or whatever. So it's yeah. totally a thing. My mom's been the same way, man. Like my mom, my mom has had, I'm proud of my mother in that my mom has had very substantial growth from probably, it's probably like 20, 2015 to now. Like my mom, like, like most Latinos was really racist um and she's changed and and she would never call herself that but like there were just like little things that she would say i'm like that's that's steeped in anti-blackness mom please stop (laughs) um but there was i don't know what it was but she just it like it was like a switch and she started realizing things and she started realizing stuff about also like how she because like she hated going to the parts of town that she came from because it's like it, she was just like I don't want to go back to the ghetto and I was like but we're literally from there mom that yeah. that is where I get the best tortillas like we have to go there <laughs> um they don't know how to make them at your new place because parents have since moved way out um but like it was really hard and now she's realizing oh I'm using the the same language for my people 
that people are using against us. And and she just kind of had that moment where she's like, oh, but if I go into the world, they don't know that I live in Universal City. Yeah, They think I live in the barrio. <laughs> they think I live in the courts. <laughs> and there's no way to change that. And so she's been able to self-reflect and, and get a lot better on it, which I'm, I'm really proud of. Um, my dad's and my mom's brown. Like my mom is not passing for anything <laughs> but brown. Um, and my dad, who's who's uh, fair skin, he's only he's only half half Mexican, but he's never had it that way. And I think it's because he kind of has this. He's he has the privilege of not having to go through stuff. But my dad took it in the good way, the way that you want somebody with privilege to take it, and that my dad was just hyper aware of what was happening to everybody else. Yeah, because good. he had to see what would happen to like his sister who does look Mexican or like so he was able to kind of see that and he is not a bad person. <laughs> but my brown mom <laughs> on the other hand. Um, uh, well, it's but just she's got a lot know, better. You're told over and over by media, by, you know, the system, by people mm-hmm. that you're surrounded by that being brown or being, you know, a certain being looking a certain way or being from a certain type of people is bad. And so mm-hmm. you inter- you totally internalize that. And it's really hard to change your thought process and like have love for yourself for being oh, yeah. part of that part of your own people. And yeah. I don't know, it's something I still struggle with for sure. I went to like a majority white high school and there is a lot of self-hate there because <laughs> I was, oh, you're the Asian girl. Like, oh, you're cute for an Asian girl. You know, it's just, yeah, get, all that kind of stuff is. I get that you speak English so well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, I, I'm I, American. <laughs> I, I can trace my family back seven generations. I can trace yours here. Yeah. It's like you were here before <laughs> they were for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. No, I um, feel you. I feel like you're completely right. My mom went through. So a lot of people don't know, but in Texas, uh, Central Texas, there were assimilation programs that they would put brown kids through. Yeah. Um, not as bad as, you know, taking a kid from their family and putting them into a school in that way. Um, but they would get demerits if they spoke Spanish um, when she was older. Um, and when she was younger, she would get hit by the nun. Um, if she said anything in Spanish, I'm talking like a small word or anything. So they effectively beat that out of her. And then she, I'm the only person in my family that doesn't speak Spanish. Um, and it's cause she told my grandmother not to, yeah. um, not to teach me. It's funny cause there's still some words that regardless of not having my language or having that language, I refuse to say in English cause my brain just doesn't process it that way. <laughs> like, uh, you know how, like, what do you, when you get a bump? Like like a like if you hit yourself and you get a bump, mm-hmm. like a bump on your head or something. I never call it a bump; it's a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> My flip flops are always chunkless. <laughs> My hair ties are always chunkless, and it will. And I don't know why, but those small things like leaked into my brain, and they've never gotten out. But that's so um, funny. Man, we need more Mexican superheroes, more Latinx superheroes, more like just superheroes that like showcase these complex identities because that's just interesting. Yes. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I can't remember now, Jared, I feel like we've talked about this. So no longer doing a Robbie Reyes ghostwriter standalone show. They are talking about doing a Johnny Blaze ghostwriter. I think it's just a rumor that they're developing something new with Johnny Blaze, but that does seem to be the general idea. And it would be probably not on Hulu. It would 
probably be an actual uh like marvel film like an mcu film i, I would think yeah but to me like it just feels silly like like to, to redo that now like honestly i'd go i'd introduce alejandra you know if i was gonna do something not Robbie. <laughs> yeah. like, like like we have other uh, Latinx <laughs> ghostwriters. Like like and we have other just and there's a there was a cool uh, Native American ghostwriter was introduced in a Doctor Strange miniseries, a Sorcerer Supreme thing, uh, where I think they ended up sending her back to the past, but she had been like time displaced. She was the former Sorcerer Supreme of a different era, and it was it was like basically the old West, and was also happened to be a, a Native American woman, and yeah, and and a ghostwriter. <laughs> like, cool. like, in like she was really cool. It's like why not? introduce some of these characters into the films like and and they do make some good choices but it feels like i don't know like they're like like a lot of them are afterthoughts if they're if it's not something as good as black panther then they're just afterthoughts yeah we have one character in the entire mc actually playing a latino and that's michael peña's character that's it yeah (laughs) no he's got and he's he's hilarious and well acted and well written, but he he has the same problem that all the Mexican American heroes in the actual comics have is yep. for some reason he's got a, a criminal history. Like, yep. I, I think the best case is is uh, Richter from the X Men comics, whose yeah. dad whose dad is a gun runner. He's cool. <laughs> <laughs> The crime's detached by a generation. Yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I mean, so is his dad. But it's just like, wait, oh, why? Yeah. Why do they have to do that every time? And like, mm-hmm. honestly, like I want in all like New Yorkian production of uh, White Tiger and just have that play up the familial aspect and bring that in. And I want Robbie. I don't want any other writer. I really mm-hmm. don't. Because, like, when you look at, like, the state of things, like, there are 60 million Latinos in the United States. That makes us 18% of this population. That's the largest minority population. Period. We have 3% representation on film. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Three. Um, and in the MCU, we only have Michael Peña. Like, we have, like, we have Tessa and we have Lupita and we have, we have like, actors. But none of them are actually playing characters that showcase that identity yeah, they're all playing aliens yeah <laughs> of some kind yep. exactly how do we detach them from earth um, and that's the same thing with with asian actors as well it's like you you have yeah. um, in, in in guardians of the galaxy and in that case the case of mantis they actually made a character who's a vietnamese uh and german woman you know a biracial woman into an alien yeah I'm like it's like come on guys yep. <laughs> And yeah. Drax, 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 uh, as I Drax, mentioned before yes. on the show, was a saxophone playing j- jazz musician and I think professor <laughs> and, and lo- loving stay at home dad. So uh, not not an alien who is weirdly sexist. <laughs> I will tell you the day the day I found out that Batista was Filipino and not Latino, I was shocked. I was like, oh <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> I claimed him for so long because <laughs> when he wrestled, he was with Rey Mysterio and stuff, and so I just assumed oh. he was I, like. I think that's a reasonable actually. inference, though. Yeah, he was in like the there because I I never really got into Mex- wrestling outside of like watching like 
Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio and all like the Mexican like wrestlers that would come out because they were literally everywhere. Like I had to know about them. <laughs> um, I just assumed, like it was it was it was one of those things. So, but uh, yeah, that definitely that that that's true in the Southwest. Like I remember going to like sporting events and whatever the like the Phoenix Suns they, they'd have like a Mexican wrestling mask like like with the <laughs> Phoenix Suns logo emblazed on it and handed yep. to me a little kid. I'm like awesome <laughs> like, <laughs> and they were the the wrestlers who were superheroes you know which was made them much cooler funny Damn. um i th- think unless we have any closing thoughts about robbie and ghost Rider, um i think that's all i yeah. had he's awesome and i'm sad yeah, I was just gonna say I hate that Jeff Loeb being fired and the merging of Disney and Fox seems to be have the casualty of all those Hulu shows, except for maybe Hellstrom and Modoc. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe the only I, ones the searching that increases my anger. Yeah, the one about the white son of the devil. <laughs> yeah. And and I like Pat Oswald. We loved him on Shield, but I don't need to see a cartoon about him being a giant head man like it's pretty he pretty much is a humpty dumpty type of guy like i don't know i don't I don't need that yeah Ugh. yeah well i don't know maybe i mean gabriel luna is down to play robbie again he was so stoked when that announcement was made i feel awful for him yeah um, when they announced that that was going away he was i don't know he came out on twitter was like i'm sorry guys it's like dude it's not your fault don't be sorry no <laughs> we want you man we want you back he's oh he's such a good actor i just put him in more things in general but anyway we love robbie thank you kate so much for coming on um our bonus episode yes thank uh, you very much no thank y'all for having me on i feel like i didn't talk about robbie that much said yo brown people got it hard sometimes <laughs> no you um we wanted you to talk about the layers of this character uh because they're there and we need more characters like that because it just makes it just makes for better storytelling to have all of this it's more interesting than just having like oh white dude on a motorcycle <laughs> made a deal with the devil like that's that's fine but it's not as interesting as this well, you know yeah, yeah. i i i'd never thought about it before but i like i, I when we were when we first like compared them or maybe the, maybe it's the good samaritan one where they have you know the sony looking ghost rider which look pretty <laughs> cool you know picking up picking him up yeah. uh, off the ground like it's like the differences in their stories like oh one was betrayed by his uncle and he's going to his he has to take care of his of his disabled brother and and he's you know got all this he's being hunted by la gangs and he's you know possessed by the devil he's got all this stuff going on the other guy oh no he was evil knievel and grew up in a traveling <laughs> circus oh oh what's his tragedy his high school girlfriend left him oh no yeah. shit it's because you you graduated high school or whatever it's like come on man like yeah it's, it's not a good he, johnny blaze sucks by comparison <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, that's that's real. I never <laughs> compared the two that way, but yo, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> evil kid, evil. evil kid, oh evil. man, Kate, where can people find you on the internet? Ooh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Oh My Myth Randier. Um, I'm on there probably more than I should be. 
<laughs> um, and you can find all of my work at boedopodcast.com. And if you want to follow us and follow all the awesome work that not only me, but also our amazing team of writers and podcasters like this one do, <laughs> um, you can follow us at PC on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Perfect. Jared, where can people find you? People can find me at I Snow Nothing. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. You can find this podcast at Project Tahiti on Twitter. Um, we're on all the things. And if you're a browser listener, you should go to butwhythopodcast.com and listen to us there because we do have an embed there. And uh, you can go and read all the amazing things that Kate writes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I love our community. I'm really glad that you asked us to join. Oh, and I'm happy you all joined. I mean... Community is like really, really important to us. And I, the moment we started even thinking about doing podcasts, we were like, we need to, we need to ask them. So, because <laughs> I love you guys. Love you guys too. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening to this special bonus episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.